some years back, we considered the Day of Atonement from Luke chapter, uh, rather Leviticus chapter 16, and a very important prophetic picture were given in uh, the Old Testament scriptures in the writings of Moses. And if you got the text this morning, of course, you, you read that uh, this chapter is to the writings of Moses what Isaiah chapter 53 is to the whole prophetic order. And so we have in this passage something that is really expounded as to its meaning for us in the book of Hebrews. And it is essential that we understand the wondrousness of prophetic scripture. There's nothing like it. Many have come to the knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ and to a repentance from sin and an actual trust in him by the prophetic scriptures, by reading, understanding how they are fulfilled in Christ. There's nothing else like it. God says even to challenge him, by the way, by prophecy. In Isaiah 46, or 49, I think it is, Remember the former things of old, for I am God and there is none else. I am God and there is none like me. Declaring the end from the beginning, and from ancient times things that are not yet done. Saying, My counsel shall stand and I will do all my pleasure. Prophetic scripture. Prophetic scripture is given, as we mentioned earlier, in prose, in poetry. It's also given in prefigurements and types and figures, even in persons. And there are histories in the Old Testament. But we find it in a wondrous way in the instituting of the Day of Atonement in the Old Testament. And so we read in Leviticus chapter 16 and verses 29 through 34. This is really a summation. And this shall be a statute forever unto you, that in the seventh month, on the tenth day of the month, ye shall afflict your souls and do no work at all, whether it be one of your own country or a stranger that sojourneth among you. For on that day, shall the priest make an atonement for you to cleanse you that you may be clean from all your sins before the Lord. It shall be a Sabbath of rest unto you and ye shall afflict your souls by a statute forever. And the priest whom he shall anoint and whom he shall consecrate to minister in the priest's office in his father's stead shall make the atonement and shall put on the linen clothes, even the holy garments. And he shall make an atonement for the holy sanctuary. And he shall make an atonement for the tabernacle of the congregation and for the altar. And he shall make an atonement for the priests and for all the people of the congregation. And this shall be an everlasting statute unto you to make an atonement for the children of Israel for all their sins once a year. And he did, as the Lord commanded Moses. Now there were daily sacrifices that were made of old. There were sacrifices in the morning. There were sacrifices in the evening. 
They were made by the common Levitical priests. At special times, there were thousands of animals that would be slain. It's amazing to me. I think it's in the seventh chapter of Numbers where we have an incredible amount of animals that were slain in the dedication of the tabernacle, later also in the temple. There were burnt offerings every morning and evening. There were sin offerings for unintentional sins. And similarly, there were trespass offerings. There were peace offerings and other offerings. Paul mentions them rather succinctly in Hebrews chapter 10, verse 8, sacrifice and offering and burnt offerings and offering for sin. All of these offerings were pictures. They were types. They were divinely appointed to show us various aspects of the death of the Lord Jesus Christ as the expiator of sin and guilt and as the salvation of those who are called and who come to know him. But there was one day, there was one day in the year, the most important day on the Hebrew calendar. There was one day in the year appointed by God. It towered above all of them. And on this day, only on this day, could the holiest place in the tabernacle be entered. And only one man, the high priest, could enter that holiest place one day in the year. And uh, that place where God symbolically dwelled in the glory cloud that was come to be known as the Shekinah. Significantly meaning the presence. The special presence of God. The Shekinah. Of course, we can go into the fulfillment of that in the one who came and tabernacled among us. The holiest place entered once a year on what was called the Day of Atonement. The most important day of the year. And when the Jewish Talmud was put together, the instructions for the Jews. The whole section that deals with the Day of Atonement in the Jewish Talmud is called the Yoma. That simply means the day, the day. That's what it was titled, that one day. The continual slaying of the lambs morning and evening every day the offering of sacrifices to God were to remind the people of something essential. God is absolutely holy, infinitely holy, and they were sinners. God holy, they sinners. And they could not approach God except, by the way, he himself had appointed by appointed sacrifices. These sacrifices were offered by their representatives, the priests. But the Day of Atonement was the type of the one great propitiation 
It was a type of the one great sacrifice that averts the wrath of God who is infinitely holy. And on that day, one man only, only one man, the high priest, could perform all of its work and all of its sacrifice. The common priest had no part in that. He did all the work. He did all the sacrifice. He entered into the holiest place. In Leviticus chapter 16 and verse 17, And there shall be no man in the tabernacle of the congregation when he goeth in to make an atonement in the holy place until he come out and have made an atonement for himself and for his household and for all the congregation of Israel. Now our message will center upon the specially appointed sacrifices of that day and it will bring us to particularly consider the two goats that were offered for the sins of the people. Two goats. The goat of sacrifice, the scapegoat. Two goats that we learn in our text, and shall see in our text, constitutes one sacrifice. Very important, those two goats were sacrificed. There was, of course, other sacrifices that would follow, but these two goats were essential for the forgiveness of sin and the remission of sin and the passing over of sin. Of course, we know those sacrifices could not literally take sin away, but they were there to point to the only way that sins can be removed. So the high priest on that day of atonement did a peculiar work. It was his work alone. Only he could perform it. In the 16th chapter of Leviticus, Leviticus and verse 3, Thus shall Aaron come into the holy place with a young bullock for a sin offering and a ram for a burnt offering. There was incredible work to be done on that day. It was tiresome work, exhausting work. And tiresome work was done by the common priest every day. But they didn't take part in it on that day. The rabbinical tradition informs us that on this day, the high priest did almost all the work, all by himself. He did the menial work, as well as the sacrificial work. The work was done by the one man, the high priest. There was none with him. There was none that could relieve him of that work. He must perform every divinely appointed duty. He must do it in minute detail, missing nothing. It was incredibly exhausting work that the high priest did on the day of atonement. God, who is infinitely holy, could not be approached in any other way, nor could any alterations be made to his appointed way. 
We know when you read Leviticus and you particularly look into the 10th chapter, there were two sons of Aaron. Their names were Nadab and Abihu. They took upon themselves to go into the holy place, not said into the holy of holies, but they had censers, censers that were to be fired by coals, and they went in, and their censers were fired, and they were burned up to a crisp. God judged them on the spot. They had not come the way God had commanded. The scripture says what they offered was strange fire. Strange fire. We have a lot of strange fire, I think, in our days in, in so-called Christianity in many places. Strange fire. You see, God had commanded that at the altar of burnt sacrifice in the courtyard, the coals were to be taken from that that had consumed the sacrifice, put into their censers, and the incense then would rise from those censers. Obviously, they didn't follow what God had commanded. They brought strange fire. And, uh, you know, you read in the Scripture, and there are those who think, well, everybody that preaches, they're, they're preaching the truth. Well, that's not true. The Scriptures warn over and over, our Lord Jesus Christ warned, there are modified Gospels. God gave one Gospel. Just one. He declares that one gospel of the grace of God is to be proclaimed. No other. The Apostle Paul says, you remember, to the Galatians, I marvel that you're so soon removed from him that called you into the grace of Christ unto another gospel, which is not another. There are those who think, well, we just to accept everybody as they are. They're sincere, you know. Well, we don't know. Maybe Nadab and Abihu were very sincere as well. But they did not do what God had commanded to be done. They brought strange fire. And so Aaron is warned as well in the second chapter of Leviticus, chapter 16. And the Lord said unto Moses, Speak unto Aaron thy brother that he come not at all times into the holy place within the veil before the mercy seat, which is upon the ark, that he die not. For I will appear in the cloud upon the mercy seat. In fulfillment of Aaron doing all the work on the day of atonement. In fulfillment of that type, our blessed Savior, our great high priest, must do all the work of atonement. All of it. Done by him. No one adding to what he could do. All of that work must be done by him. Alone he must perform all that's necessary to remove the barrier between God and sinners. He alone. Doing all the work. He must take the whole burden. Of satisfying the divine justice. And God is holy. 
If that truth were burned in the hearts of those who profess to know him, we wouldn't see things done in such a shabby way they are toward him. And the neglects that are there toward what he has ordained. You wonder sometimes, the heart is so filled with the world, there's little preparation for the things of God. Little prayer in seeking him. Well, people come, they've been watching a TV or something they've done on a computer and their minds are taken away by the things of the world. They come, they can't hear, they're distracted, their minds are everywhere else. The fear of God is not known as to what it should be. There was a time when people would take and make preparation to come to hear the word of God. I remember when I was a boy, believe it or not, <laughs> a long time ago, and my dear grandmother, she would have me, of course, on Saturday nights, I'd have to get a bath. You know, you get a bath on Saturday night, get in the bathtub. Ronnie, shine your shoes, Ronnie. Put your little suit out. Ron had little suits, you know, with little ties you clipped on. We're going to go where God is going to meet with his people. And so even that was in preparation. There was a principle she was teaching me in that. God is holy, infinitely so. And yet the things of him are treated as if they just take and leave it. And the world and the things of it take the heart. I'm sorry, but that's where we are in the hour in which we live. Little preparation made for the things of God. We're not sabbatical, but the Sabbath began the night before. And preparations. On that day, on that day, only the high priest did all the work. It was done by him, by him alone. And our Savior alone bore all the weight of all the work of redemption, all by himself. William Dix, in the hymn we sing sometimes, wrote, O thou, the eternal Son of God, none tread with thee the holy place. Thou sufferest alone how alone how alone none of the disciples could stand with him they fled in the hour of his death none were there to walk in company with him to relieve the work of the cross no one no any not any aid whatsoever was given to him no comfort given to him. Yet when the hour has come, when the Savior was on the cross, even the Father would hide his face, withhold all help from him. That's when he utters those words that were written prophetically in Psalm 22 nearly a thousand years before. 
a prophetic passage in Psalm 22 that incredibly gives us exactly what would happen on the cross. Graphically. And you know what? The cross wasn't even invented then. All of this prophetically, long before, there was such a thing as a Roman cross. My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? In the psalm, why art thou so far from helping me? And from the words of my roaring, O oh my God, I cry in the daytime, but thou hearest not, and in the night season, and am not silent, but thou art holy. O oh, thou that inhabitest the praises of Israel. On that day of atonement, the high priest would put off the glorious attire he wore day by day. And he would put on plain, humble, white linen garments on that day, on the Day of Atonement. In Leviticus chapter 16, verse 4, he shall put on the holy linen coat, and he shall have the linen breeches upon his flesh, and shall be girded with a linen girdle, and with a linen mitre shall he be attired. These are holy garments. Therefore shall he wash his flesh in water and put them on. The normal garments that were, born, that were worn by the high priest, he had a, a, a mitre kind of crown that he wore. It was plated with pure gold, it was tied with a brilliant blue ribbon. He had a breastplate studded with gems. He wore a glorious ephod, an outer garment. And all with ornamentation. It was beautiful. The, the garments worn by the high priest were beautiful garments. You couldn't miss him. There were glorious garments worn by him. Not on that day. Not on that day. He would only again put those glorious garments on after the completion of his work. Do you not see the type? Do you not see the picture? How glorious was our Lord. Pre-incarnation. He who is from everlasting. How glorious was he. He was in the form of God. That means he was shown to be God. However, that was displayed. He was manifested as God. Pre-incarnation. He was worshipped by the angelic host. Of course they worshipped him when he came into the world. They saw his glorious manifestation, if you please. The way he was shown to be 
as in Philippians 2, in the form of God, the divine Son, seen by the angelic host before he dressed himself in the clay of our human flesh. Before he, God, was manifest in the flesh, he had his glorious attire. He was in the form of God. Only when he came into human flesh, it was without sin, untainted. It was in the likeness of sinful flesh. It was in the likeness of the flesh after the fall, yet he had no sin. It came in our likeness, without sin. He made the atonement for sin. He died, dear saint, in your place. He took your sins unto his own body. In the pure, clean, linen white of his human flesh. Coming in the greatest of humility ever. He laid aside that manifestation in which he was shown to be God. Not his deity, but the way he was. And took upon him the form of a servant. And was made in the likeness of men. To redeem you and me. To buy us out of the slave market of sin. To bring us to God. So again, William Dix could write, Thou great high priest, thy glory robes today are laid aside, and human sorrows, son of man, thy Godhead seem to hide. Exchanged his royal diadem for a crown of thorns. In mockery, he was given a regal robe, purple. The only scepter he had was a reed mockingly pushed on him in contempt. But when he is risen from the dead, when he ascends again to the right hand of the majesty on high, he again resumes the glory he had before the world was. Now, O oh Father, glorify thou me with thine own self, with the glory which I had with thee before the world was, he prays in John chapter 17 and verse 5. As he bowed his holy head upon the cruel cross, Can you and I not bow our hearts in thankful praise to him? But notice also that the high priest did not simply array himself in the pure, clean linen. He himself, the high priest in Israel of old, he himself 
had to be ceremonially pure in order to offer the sacrifice. He had to offer sacrifice for himself. In Leviticus chapter 16, verse 6, And Aaron shall offer his bullock of the sin offering, which is for himself, and make an atonement for himself and for his house. How holy God is. How holy God is. How sinful men are. The greatest of men. Even men chosen by God to perform the highest of divine tasks. The high priest had to make an atonement for himself. The high priest of Israel was born in sin. Abraham was born in sin. David was born in sin. Paul was born in sin. You were born in sin. I was born in sin. And little do we know how incredibly serious sin is until God begins to work in us. And then if he showed us truly our whole selves as sinners, we would not be able to stand it. We drank sin in like drinking water. We had it in heart and mind and thought and desire. We would have committed more had we had opportunity. Not very popular preaching nowadays. Vile. Unclean. Choosing things that please not God. Ignoring him and his holy law. Going our own way. Solemn it is. How holy God is. How sinful men. Even men chosen by him to perform the most important tasks. Wherever the foot of man moves, he brings defilement with him. Wherever man moves, defilement is sure to be there. Before the high priest of old could offer the atoning sacrifice for the sins of the people, he must offer the identical sacrifice for himself and for his own house. Well, you find that again in Leviticus chapter 16 and verses 11 through 14. And Aaron shall bring the bullock of the sin offering, which is for himself, and shall make an atonement for himself and for his house, and shall kill the bullock of the sin offering, which is for himself. And he shall take a censer full of burning coals of fire from off the altar before the Lord, and his hands full of sweet incense, beaten small, and bring it within the veil, and he shall put the incense upon the fire before the Lord, and the cloud of the incense that the cloud of the incense may cover the mercy seat that is upon the testimony that he die not. 
And he shall take of the blood of the bullock and sprinkle it with his finger upon the mercy seat eastward. And before the mercy seat shall he sprinkle the blood with his finger seven times. On this day, this day, the day of atonement, the first business upon entering through the veil, where God symbolically dwelt in the glorious cloud above the mercy seat, between the cherubim, in the holy of holies, in the tabernacle. The first business was to bring the blood of the goat for himself and a censer full of incense in order for the fragrant cloud to cover the mercy seat. You've got to wonder. The people were there congregated. I'm sure you could have heard a pin drop when he went into that Holy of Holies on the Day of Atonement. Had anything at all been out of place, what would have happened to him? He would die. They must have waited almost breathlessly hoping to see him come back out of the tabernacle. Because you see, he was their representative. He represented them. If he was not accepted, guess who else wouldn't be accepted? They wouldn't be accepted. If he came back out, the indication was very clear. They will be accepted by the sacrifice that was made as well. It would seem that the incense was for the purpose of not so much covering the glory, but covering himself so that God would not look upon his sin. His sins must be covered. The high priest's sin of old had to be covered. Incense, a symbol by the way of prayer, must declare that though he has obeyed all the commands of the ceremonial cleanliness, had the right clothing on, went through the process of the ceremonial cleansing, Yet he comes before God as a suppliant without any right of access of himself. Beseeching God for undeserved mercy. The high priest. Even the priest defiled the holiest places and objects. So that we read on in Leviticus 16 that even the tabernacle and the altar itself had to be cleansed as well with sacrifice before the atonement could be made for the congregation. So one observed, if the altar, the seat of expiation itself needed expiating, 
how imperfect its worth must be. That was a tremendous observation. You see, it looked forward to something else. It projected forward. Having no efficacy to actually take away sin, it could not actually remove sin. Crying for one to fulfill its ideal functions. But he would have to be one who himself needed no atonement. But who could make the atonement that would bring us to God and bring God to us. That would reconcile God to us. Such a one, I'm glad to report, has come. Such a one has come. And once for all, one infinite sacrifice, never to be repeated, was made by him. One who has entered into the holiest of holies, not the earthly one, but as in Hebrews 9.24, into heaven itself. Now to appear in the presence of God for us. Isn't that wondrous? Isn't that wondrous? <laughs> That's why we can cry out with great victory with the Apostle Paul, who shall lay anything to the charge of God's elect? It is God that justifieth. Who is he that condemneth? It is Christ that died. Yea, rather that is risen again, who is even at the right hand of God, who also maketh intercession for us. He's entered the holiest place indeed, the heavenly one. Having finished his work of redemption, seated at the right hand of the majesty on high, this man, after he'd offered one sacrifice for sins forever, sat down on the right hand of God. That's Hebrews chapter 10, verse 12. Of him I couldn't do better than quote you what Spurgeon wrote. Ah, beloved, and we have a spotless high priest. We have one who needed no washing. For he had no filth to wash away. We have one who needed no atonement for himself. For he forever might have sat down at the right hand of God and ne'er have come to earth at all. He was pure and spotless. He needed no incense to wave before the mercy seat to hide the angry face of justice. He needed nothing to hide and shelter him. He was all pure and clean. You see, and as we said, the book of Hebrews expounds for us the meaning of these things, which is very important. You read Leviticus 16, read the book of Hebrews. I love the book of Hebrews. If I've got time just to sit and, and read for a while and meditate, I, often I'll go to the book of Hebrews. What a blessed revelation God has given us of Christ and his redemption in the book of Hebrews. Indeed. Look in the Hebrews chapter 7. 
into Hebrews chapter 7. I don't think we could do better than read the fulfillment, do you? In Hebrews chapter 7, verses 19 through 28. For the law made nothing perfect, but the bringing in of a better hope did, by the which we draw nigh unto God. And inasmuch as not without an oath he was made priest, for those priests were made without an oath, but this with an oath, by him that said unto him, The Lord swear and will not repent. Thou art a priest forever, after the order of Melchizedek. By so much was Jesus made a surety of a better testament. And they truly were many priests, because they were not suffered to continue by reason of death. But this man, because he continueth ever, hath an unchangeable priesthood. Wherefore? He is able to save to them to the uttermost that come unto God by him, seeing he ever liveth to make intercession for them. For such an high priest became us. He's the one suited for us. He's the one given for us, who is holy, harmless, undefiled, separate from sinners, and made higher than the heavens. Notice who needeth not daily as those high priests to offer up sacrifice first for his own sins, and this then for the people's, for this he did once when he offered up himself. He didn't have to offer a sacrifice for his own sins. For the law maketh men high priests which have infirmity, sinful infirmity if you please, but the word of the oath which was since the law maketh a son who's consecrated forevermore. But there's something so incredibly precious in the offerings made on the Day of Atonement. Something so incredibly blessed. For those of us who know the gospel, for those of us who, who hear the word of God and hear in our souls the work of God's grace and the voice of our Savior in Scripture. There were two goats that were offered. There were more offerings, but these two goats particularly that constituted, as we shall see, but one sacrifice. Two goats representing the one atoning sacrifice of our Lord. In Leviticus chapter 16 and in verses 7 through 10. And he shall take the two goats and present them before the Lord at the door of the tabernacle of the congregation. And Aaron shall cast lots upon the two goats, one lot for the Lord and the other lot for the scapegoat. And Aaron shall bring the, uh, the goat upon which the Lord's lot fell and offer him for a sin offering. But the goat on which the lot fell to be the scapegoat, shall be presented alive before the Lord to make an atonement with him and to let him go for a scapegoat into the wilderness. What was divided between the two was actually 
the work of one in fulfillment. It was a sacrifice, an, an offering that was offered, and uh, very important indeed. Verse 5, for instance, in Leviticus chapter 16. And he shall take of the congregation of the children of Israel two goats, two kids of the goats for a sin offering. It constituted one offering. Then later there was a burnt offering. The goats, these goats, we're in prophetic type. We're in that which is incredible and only could come from God. This is what convinced many. You ever hear of the uh, tremendous preacher of Odie Bauckham? Is that the way you pronounce his name? You ever hear of him? He's, he's good. Sovereign grace. Down the line. You know, in college, he came to know the Lord Jesus Christ. You know how he did? Somebody came and challenged him with the facts. <laughs> Kept bringing the prophetic scriptures. Kept bringing the 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 uh, way the scriptures were interpreted, the ancientness of them, the the uh, way they're shown to be true, and, and sparked him until he came to know the Lord of Glory. A black preacher, mightily used of God. Prophetic scripture. No one can explain that. Atheists can't explain that. Unbelievers can't explain that. Agnostics can't explain that. It's incredible. Multitudes of passages, all minutely fulfilled. Pictures, types, persons. The goats were purchased from the public treasury would the Lord Jesus Christ be purchased from the public treasury yes and for how much 30 pieces of silver as we learn also prophetically in Zechariah chapter 11 and verses 12 and 13 then they brought him to be offered, the Lord Jesus. They delivered him to Pilate for crucifixion, not intending him to be their sin offering, but God's purpose that he be the atoning sacrifice for the sins of all who were given to him and the wider Israel of God that would include all the Gentiles that would be called. The two goats must be used to fill up the picture of the one sacrifice of Christ. The one representing the expiation itself. And the other, the complete removal of sin. Oh, that's so blessed that I can't take it in sometimes. It overwhelms me to this day. The one sacrifice, the one killed, the one whose blood was shed, was a type of the atonement. The other, 
that was let go in the wilderness was a type of the effect of the atonement. What it accomplished. The Lord Jesus has entered into the holiest place of all. Christ has not entered into the holy places made by hands which are the figures of the truth, but into heaven itself, now to appear in the presence of God for us. The temple, the tabernacle, all that were just shadows. They're gone. They're forever gone. And at the same time, when the Lord Jesus Christ entered into heaven for us, He was both sacrifice and priest. Matter of fact, he was also altar. He's all of it. He's our altar. He's our sacrifice. He's our great high priest. He and he alone. He went because of his own sin expiating and sin cleansing blood. And then our sins were carried into the land of God's forgetfulness. Who says their sins and their iniquities will I remember no more. Excuse me. Just like the high priest or the priest plunges the knife into the heart of the goat. So the justice of God pierced the sacred heart of our Lord Jesus Christ. He, the Father, is the reason Christ died. Just as that knife was plunged into the heart of goat, the goat, the justice of God pierced the heart of our Lord because of our sins. Not his, he didn't have any. Christ also hath once suffered for sins the just for the unjust. That he, he alone, not with our help, not what we do, he alone might bring us to God. The goat would be in very short agony. Briefly struggle as the blood would gush out. The Lord Jesus Christ, for six hours on the cross, the Lord Jesus Christ would suffer all the agonies of hell that you and I deserve. For six hours on the cross. I can't comprehend it. He suffered what we would have suffered forever. In hell. Calvary is our hell. And the Savior paid the cost. Behold your Savior and marvel at the depths of your own sin that put him there. That required such a sacrifice and the great grace and divine love that's provided there for you and me who believe indeed. And think of the scene. Think of the scene. Picture. The high priest who put his hands 
on the scapegoat. He would confess over the scapegoat all the sins of all who were being redeemed. Then he would send that goat away, never again to be seen. In chapter 16, verses 21 and 22. And Aaron shall lay both his hands upon the head of the live goat, and confess over him all the iniquities of the children of Israel and all the transgressions and all their sins, putting them upon the head of the goat and shall send him away by the hand of a fit man into the wilderness. And the goat shall bear upon him all their iniquities unto a land not inhabited, and he shall let go the goat in the wilderness. The high priest himself a type of the Lord Jesus Christ probably with the blood now spattered on those clean white garments he was wearing he would come out of the tabernacle in the sight of the congregation and as he confesses the sins of the people over the head of that scapegoat he sends that goat away they watch that goat going further, further, further until it cannot be seen. The Lord Jesus died for our sins to take them away. To put them away as far as the east is from the west. No more to be brought up against us. No condemnation. And that's the order of Scripture. Without shedding of blood, there is no remission. This is my blood of the New Testament, which is shed for many for the remission of sin. They're gone. They're gone. My sins are gone. Are yours? They're gone. There's no other way. No other means. No other forgiveness. No other remission of sin and reconciliation to God except only through Jesus Christ and Him crucified. That's it. And what's required of you then? Is that found in the type also? Yes, it is. In Leviticus chapter 16 and verses 29 and 30. And this shall be a statute forever unto you. That in the seventh month, on the tenth day of the month, ye shall afflict your souls and do no work at all. Whether it be one of your own country or a stranger that sojourneth among you. For on that day shall the priest make an atonement for you to cleanse you. That ye may be clean from all your sins before the Lord 
this really is what the Lord Jesus said, Repent ye, and believe the gospel. Spurgeon wrote, There's nothing that moves thee to repentance like the thought of that great sacrifice of Christ which is necessary to wash away thy guilt. Law and terrors do but harden. But methinks the thought that Jesus died is enough to make us melt. It is well when we hear the name of Calvary always to shed a tear. For there's nothing that ought to make a sinner weep like the mention of the death of Jesus. On that day, ye shall afflict your souls. And even you, ye Christians, when you think that your Savior died, should afflict your souls. And ye should say, Alas, and did my Savior bleed, and did my Sovereign die? Would he devote that sacred head for such a worm as I. Then we cease all of our works for salvation. For when we consider the perfect sacrifice of our Lord, we should do no work at all. For all is finished, it's completed once and forever. So that it's ours to rest by faith and faith alone in Jesus Christ and Him crucified who says, Come unto me, all ye that labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. He's our Sabbath. He's our rest. Then how blessed... How blessed beyond compare the promise to the soul who has truly repented and believed the gospel. Their sins and their iniquities will I remember no more. They're gone. They're put away. Far away. They are remitted. And just as east and west shall never meet, so the sins of Christ's loved and saved ones shall never be brought up to their condemnation. Never. There could never be a better gospel. The only gospel there is it admits of no alterations. No matter how kind we want to be to those who mangle it. God gave only one. How joyous that day the people must have been as they watched that scapegoat as it moved further and further into the wilderness and they would never see it again. What a joyous, joyous jubilee the 
cause for the greatest of joy, called in Psalm 89 the joyful sound that God has reconciled to us, not because of what we do, what he has done alone. Because he loved us with an everlasting love and has redeemed us by the blood of his Son. Oh, that God would bring some to the sorrow of sin. Because until that takes place, there won't be the joy of salvation. May he afflict some in order to heal them. And may he bless his holy word. I think that him that I... Uh, a reference to his 2.22, isn't it, Carolyn? O oh, thou great high priest. 2.22. The one I mentioned in the message, yeah, 2.22. Yeah, that's it. 2.22. Let's sing 2.22. I think it's 222. Oh, this is Isaac 1. Where am I? What was the other one? 191. 191. That's what the leaders are saying. Oh, okay. Okay, 191. Got the wrong one. 191. 
you please dismiss us in prayer? Ask God's blessing on the, our meal and on our gathering for the Lord's table. We thank you, Heavenly Father, that you have granted us the greatest of all blessings, the reconciliation with you, our Creator. And as we were lost and undone by sin, and you chose in your great grace to show mercy to us and manifest the beauty and glory of your love to your only begotten Son. Help us to remember we have no other hope but him alone as our Savior and mediator, and that his work on the cross and our sins that were done away on that cross, that is our, our only hope of redemption. We can never merit it by works, and we trust in the grace and work of our Lord Jesus Christ alone according to your will, Heavenly Father. As we seek to always remember that every time we gather together, but especially when we take the Lord's Supper that Jesus instituted for us, we ask for your blessing at that time that you would illumine our hearts by the Holy Spirit, that you would fill us with faith, that we might eat and drink worthily, remembering the death of our Lord, and to every day live out his resurrection, the Holy Spirit. In the name of Christ, be in our lives. Please grant us this, Heavenly Father, and fill our hearts to your glory with faith, hope, and love. And now as we meet together in the fellowship hall and have this meal, please bless us through our bodies. And we give you thanks for all things, Heavenly Father, because all of these things are from you. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Daniel. I turned one back off.